Welcome to Let's Talk Micro. Hello everyone. Welcome to another episode of Let's Talk Micro. I hope you had a great week. As always, Let's Talk Micro is available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, TuneIn Radio, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, Overcast, Pandora, Amazon Music. Wherever you listen to your podcast, you can find Let's Talk Micro. I am also on Instagram as Let's Talk Micro, no apostrophe, and on Twitter as Let's Talk Micro 1. So like I always like to say, go ahead and follow, leave feedback, you know, any, any podcast topic suggestions. They're always appreciated and welcome. I always, you know, I leave pictures of organisms. I give updates as to when new episodes are coming out. So go ahead and follow. And if you haven't checked out the previous episode, go ahead and do so. It was an interview episode. Great information. Uh, Dr. Charlene Kaler was on. She is the deputy director for the Marshall Center for Infectious Diseases Research and Training at the University of Western Australia in Perth. So she came in to the podcast, you know, and discussed an article that she published about Neisseria species and the, their complicated relationship with human health. So it's some good information, you know, here. Um, she talks about this species, you know, that we, we call them in the lab, you know, the non-pathogenic Neisseria. So she discusses some more information about them. Typically, we see them as non-pathogenic. Um, so we might need to start looking at them more, you know, in a more significant way. You know, she even talks about a DNA-dependent mechanism of Neisseria species that can actually kill Neisseria gonorrhea. So it is some good information. If you haven't checked it out, go ahead and do so. It is episode 41 with Dr. Charlene Kaler. And today's episode is another interview episode. You know, like I mentioned before, there's a series of interview episodes that are coming out. Um, you know, I had the good fortune of I reached out to many authors of different articles and they all said yes. So with the availability and everything, all these episode, episodes are coming out around the same time. So it is some really good information. So I hope you like them and, you know, and, and listen to them and provide feedback. So today's episode is about, you know, we are actually talking virology. This is about HIV, the human immunodeficiency virus which, as you know, it's a virus that attacks the body's immune system, and it can progress to AIDS, which is the Acquired Immunodeficiency Syndrome. There is a lot of information about HIV out there. I mean, the whole world is aware about HIV and how significant it is. You know, in the lab, we, we take universal precautions, for not for HIV only, but for other viruses as well, but we treat all the samples as potentially infectious. Today's episode is about an article that, in my opinion, you know, it should have, you know, it should have had more, more hype. You might have seen it on social media, maybe on the news. I mean, to me, it was pointed because a coworker asked me if I had read it, and I went, I went ahead and checked it out, and then I reached out to one of the authors, and she graciously agreed and said yes. So I'm very happy about that. Um, so the article was titled Patient Possibly Cured of HIV Infection by Special Stem Cell Transplant. This was published on February 18th of this year at the Whale Cornell Medicine website. 
from the Well Medical College at Cornell University in New York. So in this episode, I had uh, Dr. Jing Mei Su. She's a stem cell specialist at the Well Medical College. And she's one of the authors of this article. You know, this article discusses that there was a patient that had um, acute myeloid leukemia or AML. And this patient also, I mean, had HIV. Um, just to make it, you know, the, just to briefly summarize the article. So this patient received a stem cell transplant, you know, um, stem cell transplant from core blood. And as of right now, 15 months after the treatment, the patient not only appears to be free from the AML, but also free from the HIV. So this is some good information. I mean, especially those of you that work in the lab, you know, we run the sample. Uh, we, we learn in school about the leukemias. I mean, when we see the abnormal cells in the differential, we refer it to pathology and then that's it. So we don't really think more about that. So in here, she discusses, you know, the treatment options for leukemia patients and something very interesting, you know, that maybe at some point in time I had read, but some of us might not be aware about there's a CCR5 gene that in, in patients, you know, in individuals that do not have this gene, you know, the virus cannot attach to your cells. So this was something, you know, this is something very interesting. So this patient received, you know, a stem cell transplant from core blood that had, you know, that it didn't have this gene. And when, you know, with this therapy, as of right now, like I mentioned, the patient appears to be free of the leukemia and HIV. So this is something very interesting. I mean, there's only like two other documented cases about this kind of treatment, you know, being successful. But however, this is the first one where the transplant was with um, core blood cells. So this is definitely very great information. I hope you enjoy it. And, you know, definitely very thankful that Dr. Sue came to the podcast and talked about this. So let's go ahead and listen to the interview. So on today's episode, we are talking about, we are talking virology, specifically about the human immunodeficiency virus or HIV. There was this article that was published on the Well Cornell Medicine website titled, Patient Possibly Cure of HIV Infection by Special Stem Cell Transplant. So with me today, I have Dr. Jing Mei Su from the Well Medical College at Cornell University in New York. Uh, Dr. Sue, welcome to Let's Talk Micro. Yeah, thank you for having me. You're welcome. So um, can we start with a quick introduction and what kind of work do you do at, at the medical college in New York? Sure. Um, so I am a stem cell transplant physician uh, at Weill Cornell Medicine, New York Presbyterian Hospital. Uh, so what I do day to day is really uh, perform stem cell transplant, uh, both autologous stem cell transplant and allogeneic stem cell transplant for patients with uh, hematological malignancies such as leukemia, uh, myeloma, and lymphoma. And we uh, recently uh, also offer a different type of cellular therapy called CAR T cell therapy, 
um, specifically for uh, right now approved for lymphoma patients and myeloma patients as well. Okay. Well, thank you. Um, so let's do an, an overview of the of the article and what it was about. So basically, uh, we have a patient uh, who was diagnosed with AML um, about five years ago. And uh, she also uh, you know, was diagnosed with um, uh, HIV about nine years ago. Um, so she um, had a high-risk AML that requires uh, stem cell transplant. So we, um, you know, took her through transplant uh, using a special uh, type of blood blood uh, that is HIV resistant. Um, by doing so, you know, we're hoping to cure both her leukemia and HIV. Um, so she did well with stem cell transplant. Uh, by three months or so, her um, blood system and immune system are replaced by this um, HIV-resistant baby-sport blood um, stem cell. Uh, and so about three years after um, she uh, had her transplant, uh, we were able to take her off her anti-HIV viral uh, medication and continue to follow her. And so far, you know, it's been 15 months uh, coming off her antiviral medication, we're not detecting any uh, HIV virus. So we think she possibly being cured. Um, and her leukemia is also not detectable uh, one and a half years for now. Okay, so um, so let, let's talk a little bit about leukemia. I mean, we in the lab, especially, you know, like, and, like in hematology, we're used to seeing the cells in the microscope, right? We get the sample, typically, you know, initially, you know, we run it through the instrument, then we do our differential, we see anything abnormal, we flag it to a pathologist. So once your patient has been, you know, diagnosed with leukemia, um, how does it typically work for the treatment? I mean, do they, do they start chemotherapy first, and maybe if the patient doesn't respond, then a stem cell transplant is performed? Yeah. So, you know, once the, um, leukemia is diagnosed, uh, we now have the technology also to prognosticate those patients into, you know, good risk, intermediate risk, and poor-risk uh, AML patient. Now, if a um, patient is fit, can, you know, tolerate high-dose chemotherapy, that's what we typically uh, offer patients um, with, with the chemotherapy. Um, those are done in the hospital, and then, you know, those patients undergoing intense chemotherapy, we can monitor them. Um, so once, uh, you know, we're able to get rid of the leukemia, if patient, uh, with the chemotherapy, if patient has good risk, then they do not need to go on to uh, transplant. If patient has so-called poor risk um, AML, then those patients need definitely will need uh, transplant granted, you know, there's no other uh, medical conditions preventing them to, uh, to be able to receive transplant. Well, patients in the intermediate um, risk, um, so some, it's, uh, I, I would say, you know, AML is a, quite a mixture of um, 
uh, heme malignancy disease, meaning they have different type of mutations. Some are, you know, more tilting toward poor risk. Um, so for those patients, we also, you know, discussing especially uh, their, their younger patients can tolerate the, the transplant. Uh, they they should probably go on to transplant. Uh, it's it's a little less clear uh, for this group of patients. Nowadays, you know, with different type of genetic mutations, there's also targeted therapy that we can offer uh, patients as well. Um, you know, for example, FLIP3 um, you know, uh, mutations that we can offer FLIP3 inhibitors uh, if patient has IDH, uh, IDH1 or IDH2 mutations, we also have targeted therapy for, uh, for those patients as well. Uh, what we find is that some of the higher risk patients, uh, you know, post-transplant maintenance therapy uh, would be also become important component um, as well to prevent recurrence of leukemia. I would say there's um, another big area of, um, you know, um, leukemia treatment is the antibody therapy also nowadays that we have. Okay. And as, as I was reading the article, you know, I see that, so there was core blood used. Uh, is this something that's typically used in stem cell transplants? So for stem cell transplant in general, um, we're, we're thinking about three different type of uh, potential stem cell uh, sources, right? Uh, one, one big source is uh, adult stem cell, uh, which coming either from matched siblings or relatives, or another source is unrelated matched uh, donors. Now, um, in general, we tend to try to do uh, adult uh, stem cell transplant. And uh, if we can't find suitable, uh, you know, adult donors, we'll think about uh, foot blood. Uh, because foot blood is, you know, already stored in the blood bank, uh, specific bank. And uh, uh, you know, I would say patients uh, or recipients' uh, body are less picky in terms of stringency of the matching. Although I have to qualify that because, uh, you know, we, we now also have technology to be able to do uh, adult stem cell transplant using just 50% we call haploidentical uh, donors as well. Okay. Um, so something that really caught my attention, and I know most people, I mean, we're definitely as a population, you know, we're definitely aware of HIV. I mean, I mean, we're always told, you know, and even through as we study and, you know, we're told take precautions, even the lab, right? We, you know, we have a universal precautions where we treat everything as potentially infectious. So can you talk more about this CCR5 gene? I mean, this is something that most people might not be aware of. And what's its relationship to HIV resistance? Right. So um, CCR5 uh, is a small protein. Uh, they're, they're on the cell surface of um, a lot of immune cells, including CD4 uh, cells, which is branch of our immune system. Now, HIV use this little protein attached to this protein to help to entering our cells, you know, entering, uh, I mean, to cause the infection. So the reason that, you know, we uh, pick uh, this particular type of, uh, you know, cord blood that's 
HIV resistant is that because the pork blood has a deletion in the CCR5 so that the HIV particle cannot bind and then infect the cells. Uh, so in fact, if we replace patients' immune system with this CCR5 deficient um, core unit, uh, so the HIV can no longer infect patients. Um, okay, so yeah, that's definitely very interesting. So in this case, you know, why, why was it, you know, I, I, you answered about, you know, like using core blood. So why was core blood that had the CCR? Well, you said it's CCR5 deficient, right? Yeah, that, that's correct. CCR5 uh, mutation, uh, you know, it's, it's relatively rare, right? Um, you know, it, it exists in, in, in our general population. And people who carry this mutation appear to, you know, have a normal life. Um, so it has about one or even less percent uh, in mostly a Northern European uh, population. So, you know, the reason that we uh, were using the core blood uh, in this case is that, you know, blood, blood units are frozen, right? So we can actually screen for this particular mutations versus living adult much harder um, to, to, to know which one and to screen for it. Uh, I think that's the advantage of using uh, the pork blood in, in this case. Um, and, uh, you know, there, there are two reported cases before using adult uh, stem cell that's uh, CCR5 uh, mutated. Uh, there's the Berlin case, and then that's the London so um, we, we, we knew already before, before you know, uh, transplanting our patient that potentially using uh, a similar concept, um, CCR5 deficient um, or mutated uh, stem cells that we potentially could help uh, this patient for both you know, her leukemia and HIV. Okay. And is, is this something that is typically typically done in HIV patients that have, you know, leukemia that are candidates for a, for a transplant? Is it, because I mean, you said like, there's not that many cases. So, and it's definitely hard to find, you know, it's difficult. It's only seen in a patient specific patient population, basically. So it's just something that's typically done in HIV patients with leukemia. Do you try to find CCR5 deficient, you know, blood? Yeah. Yeah. Well, um, you know, I, I think, first of all, you, you have to be able to identify potential unit matching the patient sufficiently in order to, to perform this. Um, I do know there are other unpublished cases, you know, some of our colleagues scattered, um, perhaps, you know, in the U.S. or even uh, other, other locations that have tried. So I, I think, you know, when this is, I think our case uh, indicate that, you know, whenever patients are suitable, if you can find a unit, that's something definitely should be considered. Yes, definitely. And I mean, and, and definitely in this case, it seemed, you know, it worked very well for the patient. I mean, not only, right, there's no more leukemia, but also, 
it seems that the patient doesn't have HIV anymore. So it definitely benefited the patient uh, enormously. Yes. Okay. And then just as I was you know, reading, right? So it says the treatment was discontinued in 2020. Um, you know, and this article was recently published. Is this, you know, because this is all the time that the patient was maybe monitored to see how the patient was responding. And then by then, you know, there was sufficient information to, you know, publish this. Is that why it was published, you know, two years after the patient stopped treatment? Well, it's about uh, 15, 15 months. Uh, that, that's that what you said is correct. So we were trying to be, you know, very cautious, right? We had cases when patient is taking off uh, their antiviral medication and then they rebound uh, losing weeks to months. So we just wanted to make sure that, you know, we follow this patient very carefully. Uh, at the same time, we're, uh, you know, team up with uh, laboratories uh, at UCLA, NIH, and, uh, you know, uh, I think Hopkins, you know, several labs were helping us to really using very sensitive cutting edge um, essays to, to see if we can find, you know, uh, any, any of those bioparticles. Okay. So, yes, you know, th this was definitely, you know, a fascinating article when I was reading it. And a lot of people in the lab also mentioned it, you know, they, they, they know that I, you know, I podcast and I like to talk about microbiology. So they suggested, you know, this is a topic. Um, so thank you so much. I mean, this is something that we don't, as laboratorians, you know, we don't, you know, like I mentioned, you know, we, we, you know, we get the sample, we, you know, we might make the initial determination. And then after that, you know, it gets referred to a pathologist and especially, you know, we definitely do a lot of HIV testing in the lab, but knowing, you know, having an understanding of, you know, beyond that, I think is very beneficial for us. So I want to thank you for, for coming here and discussing this case. Um, is there anything that else that you can, you know, share with the audience about this? I think that, you know, um, you hit the main points. Um, I'm just saying that, uh, you know, we're hopeful that, you know, once we have more of those cases, we can understand, uh, you know, uh, what is required uh, from, from, you know, cellular treatment point of view to really uh, trying to cure, you know, HIV and hoping to also provide some other roadmap uh, with different technologies uh, eventually, you know, hope, been hoping to, to uh, be able to cure more, more patients. Yes, definitely. Um, so once again, you know, thank you for coming on to Let's Talk Micro, um, you know, and thank you for the work you do. Oh, thank you very much for having me. Nice talking with you. My pleasure. And that, my dear audience, is the end of this episode. I hope you enjoyed listening to Dr. Sue talk about this article. I sure enjoyed um, sharing it with you. As always, you know, I hope you have a great week. Continue bringing that passion to what you do. It's so important. This is such a great job. Continue sharing that knowledge, teaching, helping others. This is so important. 
So as always, stay motivated, stay safe, and of course, continue talking micro. Until the next time, bye.